0: You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and
1: principles of leadership. Hello and welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. My name's David Frizzell and you are about to hear a wonderful conversation about misguided dreams, hollow victories, moments of clarity and the search for purpose in life. My guest is Yu Dan Shi. Yudan was something of a precocious talent. She finished school at a crazy young age, same for uni. She was an executive by her early thirties, earning a heap of cash, traveling the world and of course, hating every second of it. Yu had one dramatic moment that shook her awake and opened her eyes to the way she'd been living her life. Since then, she has been on a journey of discovery and has some incredible lessons and insights to share. I hope you enjoy my conversation with you Dan Shi. You Dan Shi, welcome to the Team Guru podcast.
0: Thanks David for having me on the show.
1: You Dan, your your life story is so fascinating and the lessons that you've extracted from your experience uh, are deep and and really important for a lot of us. I want to talk to you about the way That you've learned those lessons and the things that have happened to you. and I want to start with the fact that your life changed in a very drastic day, one day on the Sydney Harbour Bridge. I'm going to ask you all about that soon, but can you give us an insight into the life that you were living up to that point? What was going on in your world just before everything changed for you on the Sydney Harbour Bridge that day?
0: I think I was living in a life that I thought you know, I was just following, I guess, in a way, what success looks like. You know, as a youngster, you you grow up, you want to be successful, you know, you want to succeed in the world. So you have a few goals. I set a few goals for myself. And all I remembered was that's what I was doing all the time, whether studying or, you know, working hard. And I'm just driving and trying to achieve and trying to make a name for myself in a way. And all I was doing was doing, and that's all I remembered.
1: So when you say you you set goals for yourself, and I think we'll get to this a little bit later, do you think that you had fallen into a trap of setting goals for yourself that you think other people wanted you to have, and they weren't truly your own goals that came from the core of you? Were you kind of chasing things that life had taught you you should be chasing? Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And, you know, now I have been, you know, on this journey for a long time and this is now my full-time job now, helping others go through this journey is absolutely right. You know, we don't consciously thinking when we grow up that, you know, what goal do I really want? You know, we, we observe and we listen to what other people say and we naturally get influenced so heavily by what the social norms tell you what success looks like, what type of goals you should achieve. So, and I thought these were my goals. But if you reflect back, I don't think I made a conscious decision that, it, you know, these are the things necessarily is mine. I just took it on. So I would say, you know, first half of my career, i really trying to maybe live based on other people's expectation on
1: me. So what was your job? What was your, your situation um, that day that, uh, that, that things changed for you on the Sydney Harbour Bridge? Where were you working? What was your life like up until that moment?
0: You know, I had a great job. And um, at the time, I was a chief marketing officer for a global tech company, the Australian subsidiary. It's a wonderful company, wonderful industry working in tech. I was traveling around the world. I was, you know, traveling across Asia, Park, establishing a brand, establishing, you know, a great business unit. So, on outside, the job itself is great, is glamorous and well paid. And I also had a beautiful family at the time. I had two young children. So, from outside, you know, I have ticked the boxes um, of all my life goals already. That's what you know, what success looks like. You have a great job, you, you know, are well-respected and you have a family and you can afford many things you can afford in the life. So from our side, it's definitely looks like I had it all together.
1: And you were only 32 at that stage, I think. So when you had the life that you described, you're the chief marketing officer of a large organization at only 32, but you were well into your career, weren't you? Because you got a very early start with your career because of the way that your education played out. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Yes, that is true. I started my life pretty early. I went to primary school when I was four. I then skipped two more grades. So, I ended up going to high school when I was eight years old. So I started my corporate career when I was only 17 years old. I did have, you know, four to five years ahead of people. So even though I was 32, I already had been in workforce full time for 15 years.
1: It's amazing. (laughs) You graduated from uni when you were 17?
0: Yes, yes. So it's like a mid-career for me already, even though I was only 32 (laughs) at the time. Yeah, and it certainly felt so that way. So you were about to
1: say nowadays would that not happen nowadays is that what you were about to say?
0: What I meant is people might think 32 is young but for me it's mid career because if you're looking at average right. time people spend in a you know job mm. it's 30 years. So I was already on half mark
1: in a way. So you had achieved all of this by 32 your education was very much fast tracked you you must have been very intelligent you must have been very precocious as a youngster tell us about the environment in which you grew up in china and and how that environment helped fuel your desire for what you saw as success
0: you know it's quite a conflict actually and i think this is part of the reason that caused my confusion and caused this whole experience even though you looked successful outside but felt miserable inside it's quite a conflict so on the one hand Obviously, I was assured that if you have a goal, if you work really hard, you will achieve anything wanted. So in a way, that is true because I was able to achieve many things ahead of my peers and especially in a foreign country with a language that was my, you know, second language at the time. But then, on the mm. other hand, despite I always uh, looked again, looked smart and looked successful from very young age, I never quite felt felt that way. I never quite felt completely confident. I always seemed to feel there was a gap in my own capability, and I never quite know whether you know whether I I could truly like like myself enough or, or I'm, I was good enough so it's this quite you know conflict between myself and now I hear so many people say that as well is the reason why you know why we sometimes get worried of you know following our own value and our own goals because we're afraid that the real me so the not as confident version of me may not be able to be as successful so a lot of ways I don't think I spent a lot of time feeling confident, and I, all I was doing is really trying to follow other people's expectations. So I can look confident and look smart and look successful if that makes sense.
1: So you are an a, an executive, you're leading a large team, you're travelling uh, widely, you're taking on a lot of responsibility at work, you're you're having great success in terms of career progression. But are you saying that through that, you felt like somewhat of a fraud? There was a lot of pretending going on from your point of view.
0: It's not a pretending. It's this lack of conviction in myself that, Mm. you know, am I on the right path? Am I being the type of leader I truly wanted to be? Am I live life the way I wanted? Am I defining success in my term? Always felt this struggle That even though I have met all these criteria, I wasn't quite sure that is what I truly, you know, can stand for. What is my true voice? So, yes, it's not quite as um, deliberately pretending. It's basically just lack of clarity and lack of conviction in my own gifts, in my own value, in how I really show up, you know, every day.
1: So, Tell us about what did happen that day on the Sydney Harbor Bridge. I mean, we've now got a very good understanding of where you you've come from, the the fast progression of your education and your career. We understand that you were living the high life. And I remember reading you in your book that vivid description of your your magnificent office overlooking Sydney Harbor and all of those things that looked as though they should have been perfect, but you kn- you knew internally that they weren't perfect. So tell us what happened on the Sydney Harbour Bridge that day and tell us how it changed your life.
0: Yeah, so, you know, so I was feeling that way, um, you know, I was uh, overlooking the office and, and um, you know, the feeling was so uncomfortable because you're not meant to fail this way and I now call this hollow victory. You know, you like you have mm. climbed a mountain, you're on the peak of the summit and you're meant to celebrate, you're meant to say, I have arrived. And when that did not happen... Or more precisely, it did happen, but it did not last long. It's such a disappointment. It's such a, you know, it's like, um, is this all it's about? What else then? If this is not giving me the joy. Is
1: this as good as it gets?
0: Yeah. If this is not giving me the joy, if this is still not making me so more deeply, at that time I may not realize this. Now I know what it is about is if this still not make me feel deeply good enough about myself or confident or have that conviction, then what is it? What do I, What else do I need hmm. to make myself feel good? But I didn't do much about it, you know, so I ended up beating myself up and I thought, you know what, you're actually just being weak. <laughs> you should be even stronger, <laughs> you know. You should have worked even wow. harder. You are not cut for Ignoring this. Ignoring
1: the signs.
0: Ignoring the signs, yeah. And thought that, you know, you should really toughen up. And this is not what success looks like. You clearly are still lacking. It is so much inner critic. And uh, rather than actually take a moment going, you know what? What am I really telling myself? Can I just honor myself for a second and actually honor that feeling and think a bit more deeply about myself? But the reaction is actually to beat myself up, which eventually led me to the Sydney Harbor Bridge incident is almost a year later. So from the moment overlooking the harbour, not wow. feeling happy, to me collapsing in the taxi on the Sydney Harbour Bridge, it was a whole year. So in that whole year, I did not look at myself. I did not honour my feeling, and I just worked even double hard and beat myself all the time saying, you got to be stronger. So it was another end of the day. I had a lot of long meetings, and I just felt so ill. And I told the taxi driver, I felt really, really sick you got to take me to the, you know, emergency room, nearest emergency room. Um, So they took me to the hospital. Um, 36 hours later, they had to rush me to the emergency operation. You know, something has been growing in my body, but because I was so disconnected with how I felt, I tried to brush off how stressed I was, how unhappy I was. And so I couldn't also tell my own illness inside my body which has been growing at that time maybe seven to nine months already yeah my gallbladder was so infected and it's about to rupture if it does it poisons my bloodstream and it's a life-death situation and i had no awareness of my own body and my own stress and my own pain whether it's a half day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program. Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organisation.
1: As you say, you were just so disconnected from your body and how you were feeling, you were pushing yourself through very busy days, very complex, dense days. Of meetings and and things to do, and then you would go home and pick up your girls and put them to bed, and then you would get right back at it and do another day's work after they'd gone to bed. Just taking more painkillers and and ignoring what your body was telling you.
0: Totally, and actually felt like that's what success looks like, which is so tragic. <laughs> you know, Goodness. it's like isn't
1: that tragic? Yes. Yeah, it's um. But a, but a long time before that, so your your body finally reached this this point where it 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 made you take notice. You couldn't ignore it anymore because it had reached crisis. But your emotions and your heart had been telling you this for a long time as well, and uh, you ignored that until it it came to kind of an emergency situation. How common do you think that is in the community now? Those things that you've learned through that process and since and articulating yourself and writing and speaking about your experiences. Have you learned to understand how often your story is replicated across the community in one way or another?
0: So common. I mean after the operation I, you know, took out my research and study. You know, I went to do my Master of Coaching Psychology and did a two more year in doctory study. I spent last decade in research, what happened, What do we need to do about situations like this? Why capable, highly intelligent, driven people would start their career and life in such a drive and zest? And yet, you know, often they would start to lose their motivation, lose their drive, and then they felt like they're just going through life with no purpose and no meaning. I mean, what a waste for a lot of us. And so, yeah, I spent the last 10 years, and this is so common and for most people, um, if you're looking at the stats now, you know, workplace stress is epidemic. It's the number one problem that we are facing right now in, in the organizations. Yet, when I was, you know, in that emergency room, and um, when the doctor advised me what happened, I remember he told me clearly, you're so young, you're healthy, actually. Physically, you're healthy. You're on a good diet. You're not meant to have this particular disease. What is causing this is stress. At the time, before he said it, I never associated uh, the relationship between internal stress and, and, and the disease. And so now I hear these stories all the time is that so many of us, we don't read the signal. We don't take care of um, and listen to ourselves. We just keep pushing. And then suddenly we, we get very sick. I mean, there's also a lot of sudden deaths as well. But there's always a built up, you know, so the psychological well being when we are not taking care of that, the physical part will definitely suffer later.
1: Was your awakening immediate when you were lying in that hospital bed having been told that you had ignored a potentially life threatening illness that had been growing in your body, was your awakening instant? Did you suddenly have clarity and yeah. and see your old life for what it was, or did it take some time?
0: Oh, I'm so grateful. Mine was so instant. Mine was just like what everybody says in the research: on the deathbed, your whole life flows through, and you just have this regret. I was in such a remorseful mode. I had so much regret about not listening to myself, about not, you know, cherishing what I had. I mean, the life is precious, and I just going through my motion every day and never, you know, give myself a chance to live more purposefully, you know, have a purpose for the day even. I often, you know, I guess the biggest regret at the time, obviously I was a mom. So I'm like, if stress could be managed, I wouldn't have to be here. Then my children would still have a mom. I mean, these thoughts all run through me and my awakening is, yeah, it was absolute immediate. And I said to myself, you know, I pray I will come out of this operation alive. And if I come out of operation alive, I will take every day as the last day and I will live the best way I would live. And that has been the case for the last 12 years.
1: So why do we do it? Why do we in society so often, so many individuals in society, fall in the trap of pursuing goals that are not fulfilling? Why do we fall into the trap of Chasing dreams that, even partway along the journey, we realize are, are hollow dreams and are not going to truly fulfill us. Where is this misguided adventure coming from?
0: In a way, it's just lack of education. How I felt at the time is exactly what most people feel. When you're at that crossroads, you're so confused with yourself, but at least it's certain. Your misery is certain, your job is certain, everything is certain. Well, human beings are not very good at handling uncertainty. So you immediately think the worst. So in my case, well, at least I have a good job. I'm well respected. I have this, this, this. So I'm going to put up with this because I don't know what will happen if I choose to be more purposeful and more happy. So then because I don't know, so then I won't do anything about it. But again, research has shown me Change doesn't have to be scary and this is what I learned because our brain immediately says danger, danger, does that mean I need to give up on my job, does that mean I need to move out of the city I live, does that mean I need to like reduce my lifestyle? No, you don't need to do any of that. You don't need to do any of that to be happy and to have a more purposeful life. In fact, um, happier you get, more purpose you get, likely you will sustain your success so much longer. So to me, it's just a misunderstanding about how to manage change and misunderstanding about the relationship between, you know, have a fulfilled life and live more happily. For a lot of people, they feel like that's a conflict to have a successful life. But in reality, they are the same thing. Success and happiness is the same thing. It shouldn't be dealt as a choice. So I think once people get around that, it becomes so much easier for them to take the next step.
1: I guess when you say that success and happiness are the same thing, that really leans on defining success properly for you and not falling into the trap of pursuing a success that has been prescribed for you by society, by what you see on TV and and all around you, chasing the things that you think you're supposed to be chasing as opposed to those that make you truly fulfilled. Look, I, I find it really interesting when you talk about the idea that pursuing those things that are really important to you doesn't necessarily mean you have to compromise on your standard of life and standard of living and income and all of those things because i think that goes to the crux of of it you mentioned in your book a number of times that the people you work with and even yourself back 12 years ago were at the bottom of maslow's hierarchy of needs where we're in survival mode, and we're always chasing the next thing, whether it's finishing school or getting our degree or getting our first job or promotion or big promotion. We're always chasing that next thing because we simply want to survive. And We've started off at that bottom level of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but often we don't get out of that. We just stay there thinking that we always have to get you know, further and further along or further and further up the ladder in order to survive. When I was reading your book, it sort of motivated me to Google Australia personal debt because I seem to have remembered somewhere that Australia has one of the highest levels of personal debt in the world, and and it turns out that we do. We're we're the fourth highest level of personal debt in the world, and that kind of traps us, doesn't it? It's a vicious cycle because this debt is largely or or a, a little bit under half the debt in Australia is bad debt. So not assets, things that are are not gaining value, things that are not making us wealthy. So we're just buying stuff beyond our means. We're kind of chasing a lifestyle that has been prescribed to us. And then in turn, we kind of get locked into our current situation because every household is carrying so much debt. The idea of taking a step out of your current job, taking a risk to do something that's more fulfilling is just such a great big red flashing light because yes. we have locked ourselves into this lifestyle.
0: Yes, exactly. And which is why that's not what I suggest people to do. And I think this is why people get fearful when they think about change. They're like, I have to give up all of this, but I'm already trapped, so I can't. And that's what, what I used to think. I thought, you know, I'll do something about it. I heard you, Udan. I heard your inner voice. But I'm going to do something about it <laughs> in 15 years' time. That's what I literally told myself. When my kids all grow up, yeah. they are now 20 yeah. and 14 now. When they all grow up, yeah. when I send my youngest one to college, when I paid off all my house's debt, I will now work on my brilliant life. Then I'll be happy. I will be happy and I will have the time to work on my brilliant life. Hmm. Except I didn't quite get the chance. But here's the same. The biggest change that came from me was... Um, I recovered myself. I started going to a uh, senior uni doing my master for coaching psychology degree. I understood what happened that could give us both meaning and the success. If that's what people want, they're integrated. They're not separate. So what happened was I went back to my CMO job, still in a tech in a different company, but exactly the same. And I made a shift in my mind. I can see what happened, like you described so eloquently. What happened to me is what I call achieving blindly. All I was doing, even though it was achieving, I was in a surviving mode. It was always about myself. It's always about next big thing. I never achieved it with a purpose. So I said, I'm a CMO in a great tech company. What have I done with it? In my last 15 years, what have I done with it? What have I done? is looking at my next pay rise, my next promotion, right? But what could I do differently in the same job, same situation, and the same environment? And I made a switch. I go, what can I do using and leveraging my position, my leadership, my position in the industry or even as a mom, working mom? What could I do? What could I step up now making every day more meaningful and can be more purposeful? That switch happens within myself. I didn't have to give up anything externally, but immediately, literally within, I remember, three months, just having this mental attitude, what can I do differently? And not only I was happier, I was able to work less because I now become more mindful in what kind of things I say yes and no And I also start to get more energy because I'm the one making choices now. I'm the one making choices. And I also have got much more presence with my family and everything. So that was, I guess, always the most dramatic change inside me. And I realized at the moment that, you know, how useful that could have been for others as well. So, yeah.
1: So what changes did you actually make you, Dan?
0: I started looking at the time and energy. It was very simple at the time. I started looking at the time and energy I spend every day used to in my old way. You know, we all got 24 hours. And I just realized there's so many things I spend time on or things I'm worried about. They don't have meaning in it. And they're not aligned with my value. And they're not aligned with my talents. They're not aligned with my contribution. They're not making me happy. They just keep trapping me down. So yeah, so I look at how I spend time more wisely, what kind of, you know, projects I can do that serves the purpose better, both inside the organization, but also started stepping up in industry. Like what can I do to help others more? And then also one thing with a lot of people has been in mid-career for a while is they stop learning. Human beings, Needs to keep growing. A lot of people, because they're in the surviving mode, all they're trying to do is reacting. Like they go into their workplace going, okay, it's another day of long day. I just need to take my task. They're not taking ownership saying, okay, this is another long day. But what do I need to do to make today still good, energized, and still create time for me to learn and grow as a person? So I started design growth plan for myself. What do I, you know, I'm still young. What else do I want Mm. to learn? I also stopped letting my job and my identity, my title define me. I realized I can be so much more than my job. So, okay, this is my job, but what else constitutes my identity? And these things all within our reach.
1: Yeah, they're, they're fantastically simple. I love that. Just reframing what is important and what you let affect you. And You obviously came to the realization that there was a lot of things taking up your emotional energy that once you had your emergency and you got some clarity on life, you realise those things weren't important at all, and why should I let them take my emotional energy? You also talked about continuing to learn and grow and the need that we all have to continue to learn and grow, and that happens to so many people that you and I come across. They're mid-career, they're professionally perhaps in a rut, or yeah. at least, at the very least, they're in a pattern, and they forget the joy of learning and and how much fulfillment that brings us during those traditional phases of learning in our life. And there's no reason for that to stop. In fact, there's every reason for that to keep going. And the other thing that you said is that you you found yourself outside of work. You weren't just yeah. you, Dan, the marketing executive. You were you, Dan, the person, the mum, the friend, the, the daughter, the sister, the what, whatever it might be. And you had your own identity. And, and it sounds like you did a fantastic job of thinking that all through very rationally. But what about this, you, Dan? You were in a very lucky position. Well not lucky. You'd worked very hard, but you were in a fantastic position. The the job that had crunched you and gotten you down so much was a very well-paying job. You had a lot of influence as a senior leader. You could make choices. It was probably, you know, it, it, it was creating a very comfortable life for you outside of work that you could appreciate and step back and and find further value in what about people who aren't in that position they feel as unfulfilled as you felt they feel under pressure but they also have those extra burdens of a job that's not an executive in a as a marketing executive in a large organization it's as a bottom of the rung doer in an organization where they feel like they're very replaceable, they're just a cog in the wheel, their work gives them no joy, there is no latitude for joy in there, and plus it doesn't pay that well, so they're locked into it because they're in debt. What do you say to those people?
0: I, in my work, um, even though I do primarily work with people, you know, managers, leaders, high achieving professionals, I do also listen and work with people all across the life. One thing is the same, though. The same thing is we have a choice. We can take ownership how we do things differently. And it is so simple. We can look at going, okay, I have no power in my job, and I just have to work all day, and I'm in a lowly paid job. Or you can go, well, let me have a look at the time, energy, and learning. Again, the same sequence, time, energy, learning, and contribution. Let me look at this four quadrant and How have I been doing to date? Because what I do know is whatever situation we are today is also an accumulation of our long-term choices, our long-term behavior, and our long-term habits. So if you can start changing your behavior and habits today, then your outcome is going to be so much better. But if you continuously do what you have always been doing, which is, oh, my job is tiring, I just have to get to five, then I'm just going to go home, then I'm going to just lie there, then of course it will always be the same so start from very tiny steps always say to people look at the things that you can make change easiest to change for instance it could simply be you know in your job you can see one small opportunity you know you would just love grow in the area rather than putting the off constantly create a little plan for yourself what about just an hour a week going you know what I honor myself because that gives me joy, that gives me growth. I'm just going to put that an hour in diary. I'm going to start working on this no matter how busy it is. And you only need to start from very, very tiny step because the second you're able to take the first action, you now got this message, you have a choice, and you're pretty strong to make these changes, then change will just keep coming.
1: I like that. Just take those little tiny steps. You're not going to shift your entire life, all those elements of your life overnight with one move. You need to start moving them slowly in the same way that you got where you are. Because as you say, your position now is accumulation of your long-term behavior and your long-term habits. So it's been your behavior and your choices and your habits that have gotten you where you are today. So it's got to be a shift in those same behaviors, choices, and habits that are going to move you to where you really need to be and to where you want to be? Is that a fair summary?
0: Absolutely. Because I remember for a very long time, I even remember for maybe in my early 20s, I used to think, oh, I would love to be a coach. But then I never did anything. And then in my second CMO job, I thought, who is going to stop me? And who says it has to be a full-time job so I can coach others? So I started to just be brave and I just started asking like a friend and colleagues. I'm like, can we just catch up for half an hour? I would love to help you because I think I know this. Can we just, I started just giving my time. Now I give time, they are happy, but I'm also happy and I also get to practice my craft. That was a tiny step. The first one is just with a friend, then with a colleague. And then the following year, I got braver. I actually put my hands up to the industry you know, I signed myself up as industry mentor to a bunch of, uh, sorry, a bunch of female. And then only within a year, I ended up speaking in front of 400 people in the industry on these type of topics. It's just like snowballs, but it started with me just going, I need to give myself a chance. You know, if I love helping people, who says I have to find a job? I can just do that for half an hour this week. I can start now
1: to a lot of people and that's, that's a beautiful story i love that that's a great example of just doing something little you wanted to be a coach so he started offering your services for free to a friend to get you started and then you started offering them to an, another colleague and then the industry and then before you know it you're speaking in front of 400 yeah. people plying your trade i mean that's a that's a beautiful story that started with one action and I'm guessing a lot of people wouldn't want to do that one action because their goal is not to speak to one friend about their career for free. Yes. So they just don't want to make that move. Well, I don't you know, my goal is to speak to four hundred people. So, you know, I can't do that tomorrow, so I'm not going to do anything. Whereas what you did was you just took that one really easy, simple, almost foolproof, fail proof step. I like that you, Dan. That that's very simple. Now, one thing that that intrigues me, and we're we're running out of time very quickly, but I I think this is really important, you seem to have an understanding of your true gifts, the things that you really wanted to do. I'm guessing there are a lot of people who are caught in a rut, whether that's a a high performance executive, back-to-back meeting, high-paid kind of a rut, or a more average rut where we're in a job that might not be amazing, that might not be well-paid, and everything, all those life stresses that come around that, there might be a lot of people in those situations that just have no idea of what their true gifts are because they chose their career when they were 17 or 21 when they finished uni, and all of a sudden they're 35 or 40 or 45, 20 years has rolled by, and they haven't really found what is their true calling because they chose it when they were so young. How do we go about trying to nail down our true gifts, our most valuable contribution.
0: Still back to the tiny step. So CMO job, I continued, you know, in tech as an executive for seven more years before wow. I was setting up this business. You know, I didn't just go four hundred people so now I'm just gonna change my profession. First of all, in the work I do with people, I have found majority time our job is not completely misaligned. There are some misalignment. It's not completely misaligned. You can always find a purpose. You can always unleash a gift almost in majority of things we do. The second one is you don't actually have to be purposeful in a perfect job. There is no perfect job. Even if you have found a calling, I do not believe it is perfect yet. Because you still have to do many things you don't like. You know, you run business, I run business. You know, this, you know, even we find the things we love doing, we still have to spend maybe a third time doing things just not that exciting. So I think, so I think lower your goal. Don't be such a perfectionist because the problem is the second. Yeah. Either, oh, I must speak to 400 people or must to know all my gifts before I can make action is you're just letting Mm. every year waste you know, let another yeah. year go. You only know all your gifts. If you give your gifts, all your gifts, a chance, you give a gift a chance every day, give us another gift a chance a week, you give another ch- gift a chance a month, through the gradual accumulation, within a year time, you're likely perhaps know 70 to 80% of all your gifts already. But if you never do anything, you will never know. So simple example, bay. My mentoring example, already explained to you. Another one is my writing. Ever since I was 15, I always wanted to be a writer. But English is my second language for a very long time. I almost gave up that dream. Then in that year, same thing. I go, who's going to stop me blogging? No one. Yeah. I'm just going to yeah. blog. Initially, I couldn't even blog. I had to get help. So someone transcribed it for me. Then I edited because my English was still not that great. But hey, now I just wrote a book. And, but it started just a small blogging with some help. So you can start that change today, and gradually you will you will get there for sure.
1: Look, I, I love that advice. It's just so simple. But you've given some really lovely examples of where it's worked in a really powerful way for you. And I've got to say, for people who are particularly unfulfilled right now, chances are part of the situation they've found themselves those the choices and the habits that they've made, are born on procrastination and putting things off. Yes. So that's one of the habits that we need to break. What you've just told us there is there is no reason to procrastinate on this. Can I? Just, if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, please go ahead. Can
0: I also share with you one secret why this approach is actually better than you have this absolute clarity, you know, genius idea, forefront the sky, then you go grab it is because it makes your whole journey so much more enjoyable. I actually find so enjoyable discovering myself a step at a time. Oh, I can do this now. Oh, I can do this now. And now I can do this. This Honestly, I'll tell you, is so much better than you all of a sudden discovering hundred gifts of you and don't know what to do with it. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it makes you absolutely enjoy this journey. And the thing is, if you're consistent, if you give yourself a chance, again, it will not take long, actually. You take much shorter. It's well, actually a shortcut compared to you never do it's, anything.
1: It's, it's, yeah, it's a fabulous piece of advice because we're all guilty of procrastination. And, and if we're sitting here thinking, well, I don't know my true gifts. I don't know my ultimate goal. You've just given us the perfect reason to not wait until we have those things because we just need to take a step towards something, towards fulfillment, towards joy, towards doing something really well and we'll learn a lot along the way. and We don't know where we're headed yet, but as you said, it's, it, it's going to be a beautiful journey. You, Dan Shi, look, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Your story is fabulous, and the wisdom that you've developed as a result of that story is even better. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
0: Thank you, David. It has been a delight.
1: And that was you, Dan Shi. What a story. And of course, what a magnificent job you, Dan, has done of extracting lessons from her experience and sharing them in a way that has relevance to us all. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with you, Dan, on the Lessons Learn page for this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teams with an S guru forward slash Podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now.